0: This is I Am Change podcast. The IIC podcast hopes to inspire you to live more consciously and be the change the society needs. I'm your host, Kori Aziz. Once upon a time in a land not so far away, children used to go to a place called school. There will be lots of children everywhere They would sit at desks in classrooms and can you believe the teacher would actually be there with them scribbling on a real blackboard or whiteboard. A bell would ring for break time and all the children would go out to play fun games until the bell would ring again. They would continue their lessons until the long-anticipated bell signaling the end of the day would ring and the kids would jump off their seats ready to head home. One dreadful day, Evil Rona came from nowhere and took the world by storm. Children couldn't go to school anymore. Home became school and school became home. Of course, Evil Rona couldn't last forever and eventually we sent it back to where it came. But by that time, everyone had forgotten what it was like to be in a real school. So the school halls remained empty forever. The end. Let's imagine that was a bedtime story from the future. Yes, it sounds far-fetched, I know. But right now, schools are empty and kids are at home. Not because it's holiday season, but because the COVID-19 pandemic has forced governments to shut down schools. UNESCO estimates that out of the total population of students enrolled in education globally, more than 89% are currently out of school because of COVID-19 closures. This represents 1.54 billion children and youth enrolled in school or university. Shutting down schools is the right thing to do, no doubt. But how might this affect us in the long run? How are children and their families dealing with the situation? In a country like Nigeria, where the education sector isn't near where it needs to be, what happens to vulnerable children who have a tougher time accessing quality education in the first place? To get answers to these questions and more, I had a chat with Amina Abubakar, coordinator at FlexiSaf Foundation. The foundation provides access to education for vulnerable and marginalized children who otherwise wouldn't have access to quality education. Here's our interview. Hi Amina, you're welcome to I Am Change podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Koredi. I'm very glad to be here and also very honored All right. So first question, when it became clear that the COVID-19 pandemic was getting serious, schools and universities were the first to close. Right now, there is so much uncertainty. We don't know how long they may have to stay shut. So how do you think this might affect students? This uncertainty it comes with, comes with a lot of mental challenges.
1: You can imagine a child who has been engaged for years doing productive activity, But all of a sudden, you're you're forced to be locked up. You're forced to be around adults. And many of them are even at risk of going hungry. Vulnerable children are going to be the most hard hit by this pandemic. Because of this lockdown, they are going to have to find themselves not having access to this feeding program they usually get in schools. Like in our program. The children usually get fed when they come, but now everybody is forced to close down and school is no longer holding. And for parents who have to go out to earn before they feed their children, you can imagine this lockdown is going to be very hard on them. And vulnerable children usually live in clusters and now nobody would go out. So there is continuous unrest, a lot of fighting amongst uh, people. There is no fresh air in the homes. And you can imagine those young girls that are now staying at home all the time. This is when their fathers will start getting ideas like, okay, why don't I just marry them to this neighbor next door? I can
0: get something. Maybe we can get food from there or something. Hmm. It's it's great that you brought this issue up with girls being more at risk and all, but there must be something that we can do. What do you think are the possible solutions? Government
1: and other international humanitarian aid have been working but i think we need to put in more effort from the cso's as well we need to work with traditional leaders and community champions and let them be the ones advocating for these girls mostly the community people conform when they see um, something from the leadership so if the leadership is saying no to it is frowning at it it minimizes. Um, the impact of these activities. Then secondly, we can also provide support in terms of um, reproductive health. You see, at this time, it's more difficult for girls to access materials that would help them keep clean during their periods also psychosocial counseling this cannot be overemphasized teachers should be well trained to provide this even if it is just via the phone a child knows that if i flash this person with my parents phone something that simple it could go a long way then conditional cash transfers and provision of food materials. The more economically empowered and comfortable these communities and these girls are, the less likely
0: they would be subject to sexual exploitation and early marriages. Ensuring that children have healthy meals is a crucial part of the efforts to achieve quality education for all, while also checking hunger and malnutrition. In Nigeria, the homegrown school feeding program was introduced in 2016. According to a government document from 2019 entitled Investing in Our People, the program feeds over 9 million pupils in more than 52,000 schools across 30 states. The government has made efforts to ensure that the school feeding program continues despite the school closures. They'll be using a voucher system and emphasis will be on FCT, Lagos and Ogun states before it's rolled out to other states. The vouchers will have a specific time on them and will be delivered door-to-door and food will be distributed at designated distribution centres. But is this a foolproof system? Why is it important for programmes like this to be continued and how else might we ensure that they work during this period?
1: Um, The WFP World Food Programme has reported about 320 million children, million children, missing out on school meals that otherwise would be accessible to them if schools were open. for so for some of these children, or for many, many of them, these are the only source of real nutrition they get in a day. And for families that have kids, many kids that benefit from this, you can imagine what they get in a day is, is according to WFP, a, a, a dire portion of a family's monthly earning. Um, the, the government can look at alternatives like take-home rations. The families of vulnerable children also have to be counted as the vulnerable population group. And their rations should be taken home for them during this time. And um, those that cannot have access to their own homes, they should have access to conditional cash transfers that they can continue to feed. Um, if not, many people, Children would die of malnutrition at this time. And for Flexis Health Foundation, yes, we have a few members coming to say they want to support and this is also the only way we can support food um, rations for families and have to drop it to them in their homes. Of course, in partnership with communities but um, during this lockdown, this might also not be possible but this is definitely something we've been thinking
0: about and would uh, have Mm. to work around it. Mm. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm curious, how has FlexiSaf Foundation been affected so far? This pandemic has, in fact, affected almost all
1: of our programs because most of our programs are field programs. Aside what we can do online, every other thing has come to a complete stop.
0: Yeah, also, I'm interested in some of your solutions for e-learning
1: we have developed e-learning materials in video forms, most of them, extremely interactive, easy to understand materials. And the best thing about them is they align with the NERDC curriculum. So you see, a child is not just learning anything online, but this is actually aligning with the Nigerian designed curriculum. So this material can be accessible
0: to almost whoever wants to access it. Mm, That's great. But Specifically, how might vulnerable children benefit from um, these kinds of initiatives? I mean, especially since they might not have as much access to maybe electricity or internet like some of us are used to. Yes, um, in fact, we have e learning materials that have been
1: produced in house language, and we, we are currently translating some of them in full full day. If we can get the right funding, we can provide these materials on customized tablets or they can provide community learning centers which they would promote activities that go on while social distancing is practiced at least even if it is for a few hours a week so that children are not completely taken away from education these materials come in they are easy to understand to get a community champion to facilitate will of course for some stipend but this requires a large amount of funding and um, UNESCO is promoting either low tech or no tech. It has to be through like a train-the-trainer program. And train-the-trainer programs usually work when you train like a parent or an elder sibling in the house. Then they are supposed to step down this training to younger children and if plans have not been made from the beginning to put this in place, then, you know, even that is a bit challenging at at this time, especially if those trainers themselves are not equipped with the right skills to deliver. But definitely e-learning is a, a
0: platform that is worth in, investing in. Um Earlier, you mentioned low tech and no tech. What exactly do these terms mean and how can they be applied in our own context? Um, according to UNESCO, low tech means either you
1: use um, technology that is easily accessible or it's not too sophisticated or no technology at all meaning that these are tools that you can easily use to continue promoting education. So at Flexis, our foundation, we were thinking of something like having a lot of drawing materials, a lot of um, coloring materials. And of course, you know, there is a limit to how much we can monitor this. We have to start thinking of options like partnering with network service providers where otherwise you can just press prompts. This can also be low tech. In communities that have access to power from time to time, you find that even if they complain, they have small phones. So if you have a small phone, you can just press a few digits and you start having access to materials. If a child has something that keeps them busy, even if it is for a few hours a day,
0: it should go a long way. Using phones, laptops and tablets have become second nature for you and I. But take a second to consider whether this might be true for low-literate people as well. UNESCO outlines general characteristics of low-skilled and low-literate people and technology. Low literacy is not just an inability to read. Research suggests that low exposure to education means some cognitive skills needed for digital interaction can be underdeveloped. For example... This could mean that it will be difficult to transfer learning from online instructional videos to real-life implementation. And what's the use of knowledge if it can't be implemented? Also, low-literate users are scared and skeptical of technology, and often they are basic level users. Amina is right about needing heavy funding to deploy digital learning solutions to low-literate people. Given their characteristics, UNESCO recommends conducting in-depth research of target communities, spending time to really get to know them, their family, their community and culture, their working contexts, their needs and pain points, and their motivations. We need to ask the right questions if the goal is really to ensure that technology becomes a means for these groups to access quality education. It's certainly a lot of work. Is Nigeria ready? Perhaps that's a question for another day. For now, let's get back to the interview. Let's talk about teachers. Do you think they could be at risk of losing their jobs? If teachers are going to be at
1: risk of losing their jobs because they are no longer in classrooms and implementing, then we have to find alternatives of of how they would teach. Those that can be on radio to deliver this Classes should be on radio and teachers should also be part of the population that should not have their income stopped just because there's a closure. This should not happen at any cost. These teachers should uh, have online platforms where they are supposed to deliver lessons continuously. Um, In places like Georgia, there are already plans in place to keep teachers engaged, um, providing materials online through video chats. But um, these are places that have sophisticated technology and they're already used to them. But you can imagine a place like this that uh, we don't even have those put in place in the first place. So um, it can be a bit challenging, but it doesn't mean nothing can be done. We can use what we normally use providing materials on paper and trying to make students learn this should be delivered and then delivered back to the teachers in um, protected forms while still practicing
0: social distancing. Meanwhile, there, there is a group of children we haven't talked about yet, children with special needs. What do you think might happen to learning for them? What, is the, what do you think is the best approach? Children with special needs in particular should not be pressured to
1: learn with results at this time. So you see there is already a gap in terms of their capacity. So it's more important for the caregivers and parents to actually connect with these children first. Understand the language which you can talk to them for them to uh, understand that there is a problem. That's why they can't go out. So you see this lack of mental capacity can also make these children... Um, become more aggressive in their own effort to express their confusion, their dissatisfaction. So it, it, caregivers have to be encouraged to be very patient. Then you, we don't have to follow routine when it comes to caregivers. In more sophisticated countries, you find that even children with disabilities have virtual learning access. So a, a child can sit around the TV and uh, the, the caregiver is Uh, on the other side of the screen talking to them but here that we don't have it we don't really have to conform as long as they have play materials around a few caring adults even if what they do is just to draw to learn uh, at their own pace then it shouldn't be rushed as as we grow and learn together we'll still come up with new
0: methods for them to learn so another another um crucial issue is that of dropouts. Do you think there could be we could see a higher rates of dropouts?
1: Yes, definitely. This pandemic is going to see um higher rates of dropouts. In fact, UNESCO reports twenty years of efforts of um putting youth back to school, especially girls. It's going to be taken away. So you see that's that's very devastating those teachers in the community we can leverage on their experiences and they can be further trained while practicing social distancing to offer lessons learning and reading materials for those children that can already already read encourage um, girls from similar settings or who live in clusters to form clubs and offer psychosocial support let adults and caregivers be in place to provide protection for their girls so that we would record less number of rape and um, sexual exploitation. Then um, government and other bodies should ensure that at least the most basic needs are met, like the feeding program. So if there's less desperation, it's more likely that these children can
0: actually learn even while schools are closed. We've talked about um, digital learning, distance learning, and all of that, and how Nigeria is so unprepared. (laughs) Do you think it is too late for us to adopt these technologies at this point? Or do you think now might be a good time to experiment more with digital and um, distance learning? Well, it is said that wherever
1: there is a will, there is a way so for whoever wants to ensure that learning continues for their words and um, otherwise they want to access quality materials then i don't think it's ever too late at least you should make the effort you should push and keep pushing until something is happening there are a lot of other places that are promoting learning like the dstv have a new channel and the national geographic giving access to um interesting materials but you see We have to ensure that there is quality. As long as you have a phone or anything and you can access the internet, some of these materials can even be accessed offline. You just download them and replay them and keep replaying. We've tried them on a few school children and they pick up just watching one or two videos and they pick up children as young as five years old. So it's not too late. I encourage everybody to come up and find how they can access these materials and get
0: their words learning. Now I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about what might happen, what the education se- sector might look like after COVID-19 is gone. Do you think this, pen- this pandemic can reshape education? And what do you think that might look like?
1: Yes so in fact this pandemic is going to really redefine how we learn in future i mean everybody is almost almost everybody is forced to learn remotely nowadays so we really have to rethink education we have to rethink the role of educators we have to rethink digital learning and we have to rethink the information even kids need to have in the classrooms like you see reports from Dell Technologies say that um, 65% of children in primary school are going to be working in jobs that don't exist by 2030. So by the next decade we're going to see a whole lot of new jobs that schools have never even thought of, talk less of teaching them. So you see the emphasis for um, academics has to be less than the emphasis we put in place for social emotional learning life skills um, adaptability and so on so our school systems have to promote adaptability skills and resilience skills we have to raise a generation of innovative thinkers and creative thinkers so we really have to redefine education and um, a lot of schools have to adopt learning through technology because I mean even if you're a private school now this is a wake-up call for many parents that um, otherwise their kids are are struggling to learn through technology for the public schools international humanitarian bodies and governments have already started thinking about uh, digital learning and now this is a reflective time for us based on what we have based on what we can access immediately how best can we make this work so this is something this is a reflective time globally for for educators for everybody to ensure that um,
0: education for the future is done right so before we wrap up is there anything i didn't ask you that you would like to talk about any final comments So at this time of crisis, I don't think we should just leave everything to government.
1: Yes, government should come in and provide support, but this is everybody's responsibility. UNESCO is is doing its best promoting this hashtag, learning um, never stops, even with this pandemic. And uh, everybody should contribute in their own little ways. Media channels should also be part of this, network service providers, private companies. Almost everybody should play their own roles. We should understand that this is a time of solidarity and cooperation and collaboration to ensure that
0: learning never stops. And that wraps up my chat with Amina Abubakar, coordinator of Flexisa Foundation. If you're interested in digital learning for yourself, your children, siblings, pupils, or wards, UNESCO has curated a list of online learning resources. Please check the description of this episode for the link. Meanwhile, have you got any thoughts to share on the topic? We'd like to hear from you. Send us a message via Twitter or Instagram. On Twitter, we are at IAC underscore podcast. And on Instagram, we are at IamChange.com podcast don't forget to share this podcast with your friends please rate and review iac podcast on itunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts that way more people can find us until the next episode continue to be the change you want to see